together. Father, we are honored to be called into your presence. I pray that every one of us will sense your presence. It's what makes all the difference at a time like this. And I pray now that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Really glad you guys are here. I hope you're glad you're here. Black Friday, Cyber Monday, holy cow. Did you know that the pandemic killed some really good jokes? It has. I mean, there's some things that used to be pretty funny. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to see how old you guys are, how good your memories are. These jokes used to be funny, okay? But some of these things have just kind of gone by the wayside. How many of you guys still think this one's funny? You ready? Let's, let's throw the first slide up there. Black Friday, when people trample others for cheap goods mere hours after being thankful for what they already have. People used to trample each other, right? Friday morning, I think uh, last year, of course, the stores were closed, so not too many people were doing that kind of stuff, and online stuff has kind of changed all that, but that used to be pretty funny. I still think this one's funny. Look at this one. PetSmart, Black Friday. Now, that's a good picture, isn't it? And you look at that little guy in the background. He's trying to get in the picture. He's trying to get in the store. I think that's not bad. That that used to be funny. And then there are cats. How many of you guys like cats? You're weird. (laughs) All right? Here's a typical cat. How many people got trampled on Black Friday this year? This cat's like not nearly enough. (laughs) We have two of those little demons at our house. All right? I like these next two. Really do, okay? It used to be, this would be perfect Black Friday preparation, right? Black Friday like a boss. Wouldn't you just love driving that thing, giving it a shot? I'd urge you to be kind of a little bit careful on your corners, but it sure looks like fun. And then this used to be the way that you had to prepare for Black Friday, right? Black Friday shopping, you're doing it right. Going to Walmart's kind of like battling the walking dead. Used to be. And I don't know if this one was accurate or not, but I still thought it was funny, right? Black Friday in the U.S. be like Leonidas, king of the Spartans, heading to Walmart to war. Versus Black Friday in Canada. Excuse me, ma'am. I'm sorry, sir. Pardon me, eh? Thank you. No, you were next. After you. No, after you. I don't know whether that's actually what Canada's like, but I still think it's pretty funny. I didn't pick the verses that we're going to unpack today. Most of you guys know that I've got a preaching partner over in Indiana, Randy Kirk, over at Corden, and he laid out these particular uh, verses for our series last summer. And neither one of us gave any thought to the fact that it's going to be Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Christmas shopping. Do you know some people actually call it the Thanksgiving season, Right? We were just wanting to explore what following Jesus looks like through the eyes of the earliest Jesus followers, guys like Peter and Paul and John, right? And this is the text that we scheduled for today. The text we scheduled for two days after Black Friday, the day before Cyber Monday, kind of the kickoff weekend for the Christmas shopping season. Are you ready? Morgan read it for you just a moment ago. 
It was written by the Apostle John, who was one of the apostles who was very close to Jesus, almost closest to Jesus. And John says this. He says, don't love the world. Don't love the things that the world offers you. Don't love this world. Don't love the things the world offers you. He says, for when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father inside of you. Wow. For the world only offers a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, which kind of defines this season, right? And it offers pride in our achievements and our possessions. And these things are not from the Father, they're from this world. And listen, guys, he says, this world is fading away along with everything, everything we crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So, did we dork up on Friday? Hmm. I mean, I've been watching the prices on a couple of things I've been wanting. I plan on checking again tomorrow, Cyber Monday. Am I in danger of violating tomorrow what I'm going to preach today, which would make me kind of the classic hypocrite, right? Is it wrong to want some of the things of this world? To have some of the things of this world? To enjoy some of the things of this world? Or when does it cross the line? When do material things start pulling us away from God? When do material things actually start replacing God as God? And how can the Apostle John just say, don't love the world or the things that it offers you? Can you command your heart to stop loving something? You can't just tell your heart what to do, can you? Well, before we get into that stuff, let me give you at least one take home. Ready? If I lose you in the weeds along the way this morning, at least you have one thing to take home. Here it is. Love God, love people, use money, use things. Love God, love people, use money, use things. We're Jesus followers. For us, God is way more important than money, and for us, people are way more important than things, right? Let me refine it just a bit more. We're Jesus followers. For us, pleasing God is way more important than pleasing people. Way more important. It's not even a contest. And loving people is way more important than loving stuff, right? Now, we tend to flip it, even us Jesus followers. We tend to drift towards loving money and loving things so that we end up using God and abusing people. So we have to be ruthlessly honest with ourselves. How are you doing? With loving God, loving people, and just using money and just using stuff. Well, that's where we're going to go this morning. We're going to dig in at 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things that it offers you, right? Hmm. Don't love this world. But God does, right? I mean, exactly the same Apostle John who wrote this little letter, wrote the Gospel of John, where you find maybe the most famous verse in all of the Bible, for God so loved the world, for God loved the world so much that he actually gave his one and only son that whoever would follow him would not perish but actually be gifted with eternal life. So, 
what's like loving the world is a really good thing in the Gospel of John, and apparently loving the world is a really bad thing in 1 John. How does that work? If we're going to be Jesus followers, does that mean in one sense we're to passionately and intensely love this world, and in another sense we're to passionately and intensely hate this world? Got it? Befuddled yet? Maybe because words can have multiple meanings, right? If you look up a word in a dictionary or Google a word and look to see what it tells you the meanings are, usually it's going to show two, three, four different meanings. In fact, a whole lot of jokes are built on words with multiple meanings, right? How many of you old guys remember Calvin and Hobbes, right? You guys are old. It looked like a cartoon for kids, but it was really written for adults, right? Calvin and his fertile imagination is the tail gunner on a plane. The pilot radios back, enemy planes at 2 o'clock, and Calvin is like, got it. What do we do till then? If you don't get it, <laughs> go look it up in a dictionary. Same words, different meanings. Kind of like a guy at a French restaurant who asked the waiter, do you have frog legs? Waiter says, no, I've always walked like this. Same words, different meanings. The world can mean different things to us Jesus followers, right? Sometimes in the Bible, the world just means creation itself. The world that we live on, rocks, trees, lakes, oceans, animals, birds, people, and God calls His creation good. He especially loves us humans, creatures He created in the image of God. He calls us very good, loves us. In fact, the Greek word that John uses here is cosmos, from which we get the word cosmos, right? In the Greek, it has a sense of order, something that is beautifully arranged, something that is beautifully adorned. In fact, it's the same word that we get our word cosmetics from, stuff that is used to make people beautiful. God spoke the world into existence. He looked at it. He calls it good. He speaks us into existence. He looks at us and He calls us very good. God loves us, right? God loves the world. But something terrible happened. Something twisted happened. What God made good, Satan twisted. What God made for good, we twisted. And we stupidly began to love what He created more than we love our Creator. Sometimes when John uses the word cosmos, the world, he means the world that has, it has become now, twisted up, at war with its creator. Sometimes in John the world is a value system that marginalizes or excludes God. So John says, don't love that kind of world. Don't love this world or the things it offers you, for when you love the world you don't have the love of the Father in you. Don't love the things the world loves, this world that is at war with its God. Don't live like they do. You know, like those who act like God doesn't matter, or God doesn't exist. Like those who care more about stuff than they do about God. Like those who care about stuff more than they care about people. Remember, love God, love money. I mean, people use money and use things. So in one sense, we are to passionately and intentionally love this world that God has made and the people that He has made like God does. 
And in another sense, we're to passionately and intensely hate this world, which Satan has twisted in the world that we messed up, like God does. And then the Apostle John kind of spells out what he means. He spells out how we've messed it up. Verse 16, he says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, craving for everything we see, a pride in our achievements and possessions, which are not from the Father, they're from the world. The NIV puts it like this, For everything that's in the world, this world that is now at war with God, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those things don't come from the Father, they come from the world. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes, he says. Cravings that we have for physical pleasures. The cravings we have for what we see. If you wanted, you could actually translate it instead of lust or craving. You could translate it over-desire. That's kind of what the Greek word looks like. Over-desire. The over-desire of the flesh. The over-desire of the eyes. It's not a bad thing to desire. It can be really twisted to over-desire, John says. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the desire to eat, right? We all like eating, but to live to eat, that's worldliness. And that's something a whole lot of us struggle with. Nothing wrong with the desire to have sex, but to live for sex, when you love sex more than you love God, when you love sex so much you use people, that's worldliness. It's a cancer eating at a lot of us. There's nothing wrong with trying to look good. But when you live to look good, when you over-desire to look good, for some of you guys, looking good is almost a god, right? Nothing wrong with money. God doesn't hate money. He hates it when we start living for money. When we love money, when we love things to the degree that we start using God and abusing people. See, we have a twisted ability to make something good into a puny little God. I don't think God cares that we enjoy a good book, good movie, good game, good food, good sex. He created us to enjoy those things. But He hates it when we start living as if that stuff matters more to us than God or matters more to us than each other. So let's dig a little deeper. Everything in the world, John says, like the lusts of the flesh, the over-desires of the flesh. I kind of think he's talking about natural, normal human desires when they start to own us. I've started talking about these already. God gave us all great food, and he created us to need it. He created us to desire it. He gave us the ability to enjoy it. He loves it when we enjoy a great meal. He loves it when we enjoy a great Thanksgiving meal. Turkey, mashed potatoes, stuffing, right? Pumpkin pie, chocolate pie, lemon meringue pie, all the sweet stuff afterwards. It's great. It's twisted when we start living to eat. Some of us are out of control. Some of us know we eat too much. Some of us know we eat too much of the wrong stuff. But we're out of control. It's almost like God has become, or food has become, a puny little God to us. 
That's the lusts of the flesh. God gave us the ability, He gave us a mandate to rest, right? Leisure. In fact, he built rest and leisure into the rhythm of our life. It's right there in the creation story. On the seventh day, God rested. Not because he was tired, because you're going to need it. He told us to do the same every seventh day, not just rest. I think God loves us to see us play. He gave us the ability to play, gave us the ability to enjoy it. I suspect the delight that maybe you have felt when you watch children play is an echo of the delight that God feels when he watches us play. I think it's incredibly important to play. But it's twisted when we live to play. We retire as soon as we can so we can play as much as we can afford. We spend ghastly amounts of money on leisure and travel and play. God gave us the capacity and the dignity to work, to contribute, to make a difference. But we live to rest, to play, for leisure. They become puny little gods. The lusts of the flesh. And sex. Guys, God's not a prude. God made us male and female. He gave us the ability to procreate and the ability to enjoy it. He even created an institution where it can be enjoyed fully and safely. Book of Genesis says this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife. That includes sex. The two are united into one. And it says, the man and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. How cool is that? God meant for us humans to have sex as we live. He never, ever meant for us to live for sex. For sex to become a puny little God. Which is easy for us, right? For sex to become more important to us than God. More important to us than people. It's easy, isn't it? To use people, to discard people for the sake of sex. The lusts of the flesh. When we take what is good and God-honoring and make it a God. When we allow a God-given drive to spin out of control, to become what we live for. And then John goes on, he talks about the lusts of the eyes. Or maybe the cravings for everything we see. Or maybe even the cravings we have to be seen. I wonder, in fact, I suspect this includes our proclivity, our propensity for materialism, which comes right to the surface during this season, right? We like money, we like stuff, but sometimes we like it too much. Sometimes we love money and stuff so much that we use people. Some people even try to use God to get it. We need some money, we need some stuff, but we also need to learn to be grateful, right? And to be content. Black Friday, right after Thanksgiving. When people trample others for cheap goods mere hours after being thankful for what we already have. Unfortunately, that bites. So, how do you know if you have begun to over-desire stuff? Let me suggest a couple of tests for you, okay? Guys, it's fun to have something that's new, right? But sometimes we get this relentless craving, this craving always to have the newest and the best. Even when, when we, what we have works great. It's more than a desire. It becomes a craving, a lust, an over-desire. So the words like contentment and gratitude are almost absurdities to us. 
I hate that. Or how about this test? How freely are you willing to give stuff away? Maybe not even waiting till Tuesday. How willing are you willing to, uh, ready are you to give stuff away rather than to hoard or maybe to sell it for as much as you can get out of it? How generous are you really? Are you willing to give your first part to God no matter what else you want to do with your money? Are you willing to be generous with people when God gives you the ability and the nudge? Or have you worked so hard to provide for yourself that you have nothing left to give back to God or to those God loves? You see, sometimes we say we believe in God as our God, but we live like stuff is more important to us than He is. Right? That's over-desire. But I kind of wonder whether there's another kind of over-desire of the eyes. Sometimes it's not that we crave what we see. Sometimes we crave to be seen. How we want to be seen. What I look like physically, my image, my brand, my name. We can over-desire on that stuff too, can't we? Sometimes we care a little bit too much about our reputations. We care a little bit too much about looking good. We care a little too much about whether we admired or accepted by those that we admire. And I suspect you've seen it. I have. Have you ever seen a person with a beautiful, beautiful body and an ugly, ugly soul? Have you ever seen it? Have you ever been way more concerned about having a beautiful body than a beautiful soul? We've got to be honest, right? Do we spend more energy and more time, more money on our body, our bank account, our brand than we do our soul? Maybe that's another over-desire of the eyes. Guys, we're Jesus followers. A Jesus follower is fiercely anti-glitz. We try not to see what the world sees. We try to see what God sees. We try not to be impressed by the superficial, by the shallow. We try to fixate on what God sees. The people they marginalize, we value. The people they cancel, we redeem. The people they worship, we won't. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. Apostle John mentions one more. He calls it the pride of life. The pride of life, or as the NLT puts it, pride in our achievements and possessions. Just flat out pride. Maybe the worst of the three. C.S. Lewis calls pride maybe the worst of sins. I think he's probably right. It's all about me. It's about what I have done, what I have earned, what I deserve. Pride. For some of us, sometimes it's the pride of applause. I want to be recognized. I want people to see what I've done. I want their applause. I want their gratitude. If they don't thank me, is it worth doing it for them? Have you ever felt that? I know some of us have. For others, it's the pride of power. I want to be in charge. I want my way. I want people to listen when I talk. I want people to move aside when I come through. Have you ever felt that? Some of us have. For others, it's the pride of control. I want my way. I'm not going to give up my rights. They're my rights. And if my rights are inconvenient for you, so be it. No one treads on me. No one tells me what to do. Ever felt that way? 
Some of us do rather intensely. When pride gets out of control, when pride becomes a puny little God. Guys, some pride is good. It's really good. God wants us to work hard. He wants us to take pride in what He helps us do. Nothing wrong with being proud of yourself, some. Nothing wrong with being proud of your kids, proud of your friends. But when pride becomes more important to us than God, when my pride becomes more important to me than the people that God wants me to love, that is worldly. That's loving the world more than loving God. Guys, pride can become a spiritual cancer, corrupting our peace, corrupting our love, even corrupting our common sense. So the Apostle John says, don't do it. Don't love the world. Don't love anything in the world more than you love God, more than you love each other. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, they don't come from the Father. They come from the world. And then he says this, the world and its desires, they're passing away, guys. But whoever does the will of God is going to live forever. Does that matter to you? matters to me a lot. Just a couple of things, guys, to put this stuff into perspective. I mean, the Apostle John says, don't love the world or anything in the world more than you love God, more than you love each other. I think that's what it means. But this world is going to pass away with its puny little gods. But those who let God be their God, they're going to live forever. And that's what God made us for. So how do you do it? How do you stop loving the world, right? I mean, it's easy to say. How do you do it? How do you stop loving things that just seem so natural to love? Well, the kind of love that John keeps talking about is what he calls agape. It's an agape kind of love. It's a different kind of love than most of us understand. An agape love is not rooted in what you feel. It's rooted in what you choose. You don't have to follow your heart, guys. I don't have to follow my heart. I can choose to do life with God, for God, God's way, even if my heart is trying to pull me a different way. I can choose to love God. I can choose to love people. It's not about eradicating our emotions. It's about refusing to let my emotions rule me. He's God. They're not. It's about choosing to put Him first over and over and over again. It's about choosing to love God and to love people more than we love ourselves. Remember how we started? God is more important than money. People are more important than things. Pleasing God is more important than pleasing people, including ourselves. And loving people is more important than loving things. And those are choices that you can make and I can make. And when we actually start making those choices, when we all actually try to live in that way, a world that's at war with God is gradually going to lose its hold on us. It's no longer going to own us. And you'll begin to taste gratitude and contentment, peace and joy and hope all that stuff that God came down into this world to give us, right? What do you think this Lord's Supper is all about? We talk about Christmas when He came into our world. What did He come into the world to give us? 
What kind of gifts did he come to give us? The kind that we're going to give each other under our Christmas tree? He came to give us hope. He came to give us peace. He came to give us gratitude. All of those things that make life rich, right? We're going to celebrate that in just a moment. We're going to gather around this table and we're going to eat that bread and we're going to drink that cup that represents Christ's gifts to us the gifts that matter forever. Now, it may be that you're not a Jesus follower yet. If you're not a Jesus follower and you haven't tasted those gifts from our God, let's get it started. Let's get it done. You can do that here this morning. There's an elder praying for you in that room in the back, all right, right now. You can go talk to him and they get you started on this life with God. You can come right on down front. I'm going to sit right down in here. We're going to sing a song in a minute. We're going to share the Lord's Supper together. During that song, during the Lord's Supper, come down and let's talk. Let's start making Jesus the king of your life. And it may be that uh, you've already made Jesus Christ the king of your life, you say, but you've drifted back so the stuff of this world's more important to you than he is. Well, this is a time to get right with God, right? It's a time to, get to make peace with your God. Let's pray together. Father, so grateful for Jesus for putting our life back into perspective. Give us the wisdom to do life with you, for you, your way. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.